Welcome to the Rage for Justice report from Consumer Watchdog. I'm uh, Consumer Watchdog's president, Jamie Court. Each week, uh, we're going to be talking about what we're exposing, confronting, and changing. And I'm so lucky to have with me here Loretta Lynch. Loretta Lynch, uh, former president of the Public Utility Commission, the California Public Utility Commission. And I must say this, we call this the Rage for Justice report. It's named after a biography uh, of um, Philip Burton, who was one of the most progressive and uh, and rage for justice congressman in the history of Congress, uh, second highest ranking member of the House. We both know his brother, John Burton, worked with him in the Senate. The book was written about really Phil using his power for the disenfranchised. And we, they describe in the book, John Jacobs, the biographer, the rage for justice as this seething, perpetual, perpetual outrage, uh, always working for the disenfranchised. And I got to say, there are very few people, Loretta, who meet that bill, but you meet that bill in public service, in, in public life as a public official. Because if you do that in public life, you don't have very, very many friends for very long, but you do a lot for the public. And you did so much during your tenure, which was during the electric deregulation debacle. We're going to just talk today a little bit about where we are, because things have changed radically uh, in the world of electric utilities. And Pacific Gas and Electric, which just shut the light out on 3 million people over the course of a week uh, real recently and, and then shut them out again on another group of people, isn't a lot of hot water. And it's a lot of opportunity, I think, for real change in the state. We have three investor-owned utilities, Pacific Gas and Electric, six-time felon, history of safety problems from San Br going, going back to the Aaron Brockovich case to the San Bruno uh, pipe explosion that killed eight people, to uh, a whole series of fires from Butte to Campfire. What kind of opportunities does this present for Governor Newsom and for advocates who want to change the nature of how we deliver electricity in the state of California? Well, first, thanks for having me, Jamie, because you are a true warrior for justice in the Phil Burton tradition, and I am happy to be here. I think the fact that PG&E chose to go into bankruptcy to evade its liabilities to the wildfire victims for the wildfires it caused presents California with a once-in-a-century opportunity to change the corporate governance of PG&E, to get out from under the corrupt culture of PG&E, to do the right thing, and to have government provide this essential service. And how do we do that? This is, the, this is the real question. You and I have talked about it, and we're going to talk about it a lot more, maybe even have a proposal that we can put forth. A lot of people are saying, let's take over the assets, let the public do it. So you've got rich cities like San Francisco that have actually made a bid in bankruptcy, and were rejected, even though it was an overpriced bid, as you've told me. Uh, and we have a bunch of other mayors making a bid. But then there are these places in rural areas, generally, that can't afford to take over the assets. They don't have the money. So how does, if you were governor, how would you do it? Well, I think you point out a really important point, which is we don't want the rich cities cherry-picking the assets and leaving the most broken remains for the rest of Northern California. So because PG&E chose bankruptcy, we have an expedited f venue in which to take over the company. So first things first, the government has an absolute right to take over a private utility as long as they pay fair market value for its assets. And it's not a radical idea whatsoever because right now we have over two dozen public utilities, LADWP, Sacramento Municipal Utility District, and others that provide almost 20% of the electricity that Californians use today. And in every state of the nation, we have public utilities. So this is a tried and true form of providing electricity that is cheaper for the ratepayers, the utility customers. It's cleaner overall, in, at least in California. 
and it's safer because government does not have the incentive to cut corners on maintenance and operations in order to make a profit and pocket the money that they would otherwise spend on keeping their system safe. And that's been the story with PG&E from San Bruno where they gave executive bonuses rather than fixing the gas pipes that explode and killed people to uh, the campfire being started by a 100-year-old tower that was supposed to be uh, taken down and fixed in s- after 75 years, but the company just didn't do it. So the question is, how does it all work out financially? You're governor. I'm going to go back to you being governor, Loretta. What do you do? Does this all through eminent domain, or is this? Does it, do we need legislation or a ballot measure? Do we need a state law that says, okay, um, all the cities that want it can get it, and the state's going to put up a couple of billion dollars and help the other areas take over those assets and, and make them, as you've said, smarter, because we can do it relatively cheap now, right? Absolutely. So the first question is, how much is PG&E worth fairly on the market? And you could argue that it's their market cap, which last week closed at about $3.9 billion. They, of course, would fight that and say, no, it's the value of our assets, and they would overprice those assets. But let's be real about those assets. Those assets aren't up to snuff. They're not up to code. We can see that every day with these fires and with this lack of maintenance. So really, the ratepayers or the utility customers should be paying for the value of the assets minus what it's going to take to make them safe. And so that PG&E has already um, made filings to the feds that the value of their assets is about $40 billion. But that's $40 billion minus the billions of dollars it's going to take to make them safe. I think the best way to go is to buy the whole thing, the whole kit and caboodle, because that way you don't leave any Californian behind. Because it's, frankly, less expensive to provide power in a densely populated urban neighborhood that doesn't have mountains and doesn't have forests than it is to go provide power to paradise. So we don't want to leave rural California behind. We don't want to leave the mountainous areas of California behind. Frankly, we don't want to leave anybody behind. And PG&E has a history of leaving everybody behind. So how can that get done? Can that get done via the governor without the legislature? Does it take the legislature? Does it take a ballot measure because the public utilities are mentioned in the Constitution, or can the Public Utility Commission itself just do this if it, if it had the will? We know right now it doesn't have the will. <laughs> well, um, the last time the Public Utilities Commission had the political will to ever reign in the utilities was when I was on the Public Utilities Commission, and that was uh, 15 years ago. So the regulators should regulate. They don't. That's a whole nother podcast. But let's talk about the three ways that the state of California could, in fact, take over PG&E. PG&E has opened the door to one way that would not be available to any other utility, and that's through the bankruptcy court. So the state of California could file what's called a bankruptcy reorganization plan that had a change in ownership from private to state. And that would require the state, meaning the governor, to do that. And if they did that, I think it's quite plausible that that would be the plan that that's the plan to beat. The problem with the bankruptcy court is they only care about creditors by law. So it's only the people to whom PG&E owes money, the victims, the vendors, the bondholders and the stockholders that the bankruptcy court cares about. So that leaves out a whole lot of Californians. It leaves out environmentalists and consumers and safety folks. And so all the other stakeholders that should be at the table are not at the table in the bankruptcy court. But we have another venue, once again, due to PG&E's own actions, and that is the venue of the federal court that is overseeing PG&E's criminal probation Judge for Elson. the San Bruno. This uh, is a fires. tough judge. He's, uh, 
he is uh, he has called him the task. What what could he do? Well, Judge Alsop is my hero because he is calling it like he sees it, which is PG&E's negligent, and we're not going to allow that anymore. So Judge Alsop has been bringing PG&E in to answer very basic questions. Why did you spend five billion dollars in in paying dividends out to the shareholders and up to the holding company after the 2017 fires? Why didn't you keep that money for the fire victims? Why did you spend hundreds of millions of dollars in political contributions after the 2017 fires? So, so, so what can he do? He could he could actually so if, if if the governor put in a plan, he could approve it. Well, no, the plan would go into bankruptcy court, but the governor or frankly any party could petition Judge Alsup in as a term of PG&E's criminal probation to change the corporate structure, and if that plan was for government ownership at the right price, which would adequately compensate PG&E for its assets, meaning don't screw the shareholders, but would not uh, overcompensate PG&E for its assets, Judge Alsop has the power to order that plan into existence. This would be a corporate death penalty. You know, we talked about that for years. Uh, when corporations violate their charter, I can't imagine PG&E's charter said it should kill people and not put safety first. St- you can revoke the corporate charter. Now, I assume PG&E's charter is... Delaware, or is it in California? I don't know. Well, the great news is the reach of a federal district judge is nationwide. So Judge Alsop has told PG&E in no answer in terms last year, your first job is to not kill another Californian. <laughs> and that's the first person in government who has said that to PG&E in recent times. There's also uh, my friend Harry Snyder, used to run Consumers Union, reminds me that they passed a law that says that corporate managers know about a workplace hazard or an occupational hazard that they are personally criminally liable. If they Absolutely. Don't disclose it. And I can't imagine PG&E executives wouldn't be subject to that if we had an attorney general that were willing to prosecute or a governor willing to ask for that type of prosecution. So what we know is that the Public Utilities Code is full of actual criminal statutes to go after those folks. Unfortunately, in San Bruno, our attorney general at the time let the statute of limitations lapse and never charged a single individual. And neither did the feds. And that was Kamala Harris at the time. Yes, it was. And so here we are with PG&E's management skating for their criminal negligence. Now, the PUC could issue criminal fines. Judge Alsup could. Or you could go to Or the attorney general so could go after So you said there them. was a third option for public So the third out. option is state legislation. The legislature and the governor working together could form a public power entity on a statewide basis and take over PG&E. Now, lots of other small cities already are procuring power on a government basis. We could fold those folks in. We don't have to leave them out. We could first have a statewide takeover that would then, when the time was appropriate, and for instance, the city of San Francisco or the city of San Jose could prove that they could adequately serve their citizens, we could devolve power down to the local level. What do we think it's going to cost for a statewide takeover? Well, that's, that's a matter of fact. So my concern about the PUC is that they've been operating in a fact-free environment. They allow the PUC to, or they allow the utilities to file plans, and then they don't allow other parties to bring in expert testimony, or they don't have evidentiary hearings where the utility witnesses are sworn under oath about their plans. They just rubber stamp their plans as filed. And so not surprisingly, the utilities ask for the sun and the moon and the stars, when in fact, they may just need to come right back down to earth about what it what it really costs. And what do you, you Jerry Hill, Senator Jerry Hill has talked to, what do you hear in Sacramento about the possibility of January and 
proposing legislation for a statewide takeover. I understand that Senator Hill is thinking about that. Senator Weiner is thinking about that from San Francisco. Senator Bell from San Jose. There are many senators who have now had enough with PG&E's corrupt corporate culture and said, we can do better and we must do better. And PG&E has lost the benefit of the doubt. So we can't leave this essential service in the hands of a corrupt corporation. And of course, when you turn the lights out on everybody in Sacramento, more or less, uh, and Northern California, you win a lot of people who think you shouldn't have the power to do that without uh, checking with the government first and without the government actually owning those assets. So thank you, Loretta. We really appreciate you coming by and we're looking forward to working with you. And, and thanks for all your rage for justice. Well, I know that Consumer Watchdog is going to be right there doing the right thing until we get justice in our utility system. Thanks for joining us this week on the Rage for Justice Report. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play. Thanks for raging with us.